Welcome to the Sexy Biz Babe podcast. I'm your host, Tia Lin, a business empowerment coach and motivational speaker. This show is for the high achieving woman who wants it all. Each week, I walk you through how to own your power, generate consistent leads, attract clients, and close sales with ease and confidence. It's time to make money doing what you love. Let's dive in. Ooh, hello, my sexies. I am so stoked. For this episode, we have someone who has been on Jimmy Kimmel, Dr. Phil, Fox, ABC, NBC, iHeartRadio, Sirius XM. Wow. And how I met her was just through Instagram and the power of community through Skirt Club. If you guys haven't already heard about Skirt Club, it is on my 114th episode, so go check it out. But I have Nicole Mitchell on today, and she went from being a pastor turned stripper to seven-figure business owner. Wow. Okay, so we're going to go into the story. We're going to go into how she went through that huge change and how she is now shameless, successful, and sexy. And... I'm just really excited for this. So go ahead and introduce yourself to my audience. Tia, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. So yes, I'm Nicole Mitchell. I'm known as the pastor turned stripper. I'm also known for going from food stamps to seven figures. And I am so passionate about helping people, especially women, come home to their truest selves, live a fully expressed life and know how to make a shit ton of money doing it. Fuck yes. (laughs) Make a shit ton of money doing it. Oh, I'm so excited. So, okay, you were a pastor. How did you grow up? Can you tell us a little bit of how you were a pastor and I guess your religious background? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because I was raised super religious and conservative. Um, I was raised Baptist and women were not allowed to be pastors and we were not allowed to be leaders, right? We were meant to be in the nursery or in the kitchen, having babies or taking care of the men. And so for me to even go on and become a pastor was a huge scandal and seen as rebellious and seen as um, inappropriate. So you can imagine how they responded when I became a sex worker. So that was my big first hurdle was even wanting to be a leader in the first place, to be a woman who has a voice and who has a gift and wants to have a platform to share her message, which is now what I do full time. But back then that was radical and unheard of in my communities. Wow. Okay. So how long ago were you a pastor? So they started training me in 2013 and I left in 2017. And what did you, what called you to being a pastor and what did you like about it? Yeah, I just love people. I love helping people. I love helping people be feel connected to the divine. And I had grown grown up religious, so all I knew was my religion, and I believed it all the way through. And just wanted to help people. And I've always had a gift for speaking. I love stages. I love the the it's there's the performance to a degree, and being a powerful presence on the platform to reach people and to bring people together. I'm really good at it. And I was just trying to do it within the confines that I knew had no idea I could transfer that to say Instagram or social media or OnlyFans, all these other platforms where I could do the same thing, but be sure to me. Um, So I just did the best I could with what I knew at the time. 
Wow. Okay. So fun fact that I don't think my audience knows about me is, well, first of all, they do know I have a very strict Christian background, born again, Christian. I was fully Christian. Like God could hear my thoughts. I mean, I still believe in a lot of the values and whatnot, but I remember I used to want to be a Christian missionary back in the day. So no joke. I did want to go door to door spreading God's word and saving people door to door. So I totally understand that. And my audience has no clue about that. And they are probably shocked, but I get that aspect of like wanting to help people and save them and make them help them have a happier life. So I get that. How long were you a pastor? Uh, for a year in my role. For one year? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And what made you change? Yeah, so I think as I rose up in ranks, so it took me three years to get there. And then I was there for a year and I, I left. Um, I just became more and more disillusioned. I was seeing more and more of the politics behind the scenes. I was seeing more talk and not being backed up by action. I saw the incongruency. You could say the hypocrisy. And as a very authentic soul, it was really hard for me to be in that space. And as a woman and as a queer woman and as a biracial queer woman, this was, there was no room for me in a very white hetero male dominated space. And so I started out as their token and then I just became trampled all over. And I realized like, do I want to keep fighting for the crumbs that I'm getting or do I want to risk like taking a leap into the unknown and hoping that there's a fucking feast out there for me somewhere where I can be all of me. I'm loved for all of me. I'm respected for all of me. I can make a whole lot more money as all of me. And so I think after four years of trying to play it by their rules, I decided to go, go on, go at it on my own. Break the fucking rules and find a way that works for you because it was, you, it started as something that you loved. And then it turned into something that you hated because it wasn't authentic. I I 100% understand that. So what was the ladder to become a stripper? Like, how did it go from pastor to stripper? (laughs) Right. It's like the way my story's told or heard pastor from stripper, it feels like it's an overnight thing. But When I left in 2017, I had no idea where I was going. I just knew I couldn't go back. And so I felt like Elsa or like Moana, who was being called to cross, you know, the threshold that had been placed before them and figure out what life, what what laid out there for me on the other side. So I I went after it and I had no idea. I still um, visited many different churches, many different religions. I was trying to figure out maybe I was born in the wrong religion and I should be in this one. And so this two year discovery process And then over those two years, all of these desires I'd had my whole life were resurfacing. I've always wanted to be a stripper. I've always, even in my incredibly religious and strict upbringing where I had zero exposure to that, I remember in middle school telling my friends I wanted to be a stripper, thinking everybody wants to do this. And the looks on their faces confirmed that's apparently not true. And so like I had to shove all that down to to fulfill the good girl script that was passed down to me. So like being out of the confines, all of these sexual desires resurfaced and I just wanted to be self-expressed. I had lived my whole life being censored, controlled, modest, appropriate, living by everyone else's rules. And I was like, what would life look like if Nicole lived by her own fucking rules? What would it look like if Nicole honored her desires, wasn't afraid of her desires? And so that's where I like dipped my toes in the water of starting an OnlyFans and doing photo shoots. And it just brought me alive. 
again and again, I'm kind of like speechless. First of all, we're very similar personality wise where we just wanted to be authentically expressed. We wanted to kind of push boundaries of what is acceptable and what isn't and almost challenge it with our knowledge and kind of being that bridge, being a bridge where you're really great at communication and you are a mom and we'll get into that. But then we can kind of like challenge people's beliefs about what is taboo. And oh, that just got me chills. So (laughs) what? Yeah, it's so funny because yeah, I never wanted to be a stripper, but I've always been sexy. Even as a child, I've always wanted to wear tighter clothes and wear makeup and kind of be sexy and embody that energy, even as a child. And I didn't even know what sex was. I was very naive for a long time until I was an adult, an actual adult. So what made you think as a child that you wanted to be a stripper? I think I, there's something in me. I remember when I was a little girl, I was in elementary school and I never even knew what it meant. My, but my mom would say to me, you're so sensual in the call. Mm. And I was like, okay, mom, you know, like I didn't know what that meant, but I was always touching myself. Like, I think at a very young age, I, and I think a lot of kids are, we're very connected to our bodies. We're very connected to what feels good before we're punished or shamed for it. And then we learn to do it in secret. And then we feel bad and guilty for it for many years. So we heal that. So I think I was always very connected and very like open about and connected to my body. I love being seen. And then when I was like in um, eighth grade, I remember seeing Titanic. And when the camera pans across Kate Winslet's body, I was like, even as a 13 year old, I'm like, I want to do that. I don't know what that is, but I want to do that. I want to be naked. I want to be seen. And I couldn't say that to anyone that you would sound crazy as a 13 year old. I think in general, especially in a religious environment. So I just like stuff all these desires down. And I remember Coyote Ugly came out, I think when I was in high school or college and like watching these sexy women dance on the bar top. I'm like, I want to dance on a bar top. Like all of these, like I get little glimpses of the life I wanted to live and all these desires, it like, it resonated with within me. And I had nothing I could do with them. They just sat there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember all those shows. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Being a cheerleader, I remember I was very like sexual. I would get into the music. I would dance. I would twerk. I would like get into my body. But I was a virgin during high school. And there's, you know, nothing wrong with either way you go. But I just happened to be naive and sexy. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of a weird, different polarity that people wouldn't assume. And Mm -hmm. that's often the case. But uh, this is so fun. I love this conversation. So there's so many different avenues to go. One of the things that you said was that you're queer. Yeah. When did you figure out that you're queer? And when did you decide that it was important for you to be that, share that, express that? Yeah, I was convinced I was straight my whole life. I married a man. I had three kids with him. Um, And then it was in 2016, I realized, I just realized I wasn't straight. I didn't know what I was yet. I didn't know if I was gay, bi. I, I just knew I wasn't straight. And I realized that because I was hanging out more, more with the queer community to be a good ally and advocate advocate for them and learn how I can support them. And the more I spent time with them, the more these desires were awakened me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'd hit that. I'd hit that. I'd make out with that. Like I just like attract all these humans. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not freaking straight. 
And so it took me a while. And I was like, I remember I had that thought. I'm like, take it to the grave. Take it to the grave. You look straight. You sound straight. You pass it straight. No one needs to know. This will probably only wreak havoc on your family and your, like, just take it to the grave. But because I am so authentic, like, I could never, I could never. Sometimes I envy people's ability to, like, censor their story. Because I'm just like, here it is, people. Everyone knows everything about me on every outlet. I do not know how to hold parts of myself back. I'm just a lover. And I'm a giver. Yeah. And so... In 2017, I came out publicly because I was tired of living um, in fear of people finding out. Um, and I can honestly say finding out about my queerness um, has been one of the best things I've ever learned about myself and unlocked whole new levels of freedom and pleasure and eroticism in my life. And looking back, the signs were there all along. I just did not have the words or the safe space to address it. And I think that Part of that is that we're not able to express that. And so we just don't even go there. I'm from Hurricane, Utah, a very small religious town, mostly Mormon. We didn't have bisexuals. I don't even think there was any openly gay people in high school. And so I don't even think I really thought of those things, but I kissed all my friends. Like I, I kissed them and I just did it and I didn't make it mean anything, but they all also liked that permission to kiss me too, because I didn't make it mean anything. And then once I started exploring a little bit more, like, oh, like maybe bisexuality is more fluid. Maybe it doesn't have to mean I ha want to date a woman. And then I started exploring. And then once I really moved to California is when I really explored and I am bisexual and me sharing that with my smaller community on Facebook, women would come out to me and be like, I'm in a different country and that's illegal, but I feel the same way. And that made me want to come out publicly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I love that. And that's also what made me come out. It's like, I am authentic. And B, I remember I was like voraciously reading people's stories online to like fill my bucket of courage. Like if they could do mm -hmm. it and they came out happier then maybe I can do it. And I remember when I hired my first life coach in 2017, they had to fulfill three requirements. They had to have been religious and are no longer religious and very happy. Cause I was taught if you ever left the religion, you'd be miserable and lonely and have a terrible life. <laughs> I need to know that they were broke and then went to rich. So I was broken. So tired of it. And then I needed, they had to be queer. I needed to know that a queer person freaking made it because the poverty narrative is so strong in our queer community. And I, when I decided to become rich um, my newly found precious LGBTQ community that I just become connected to turned on me, oh, wow. um, because I was a sellout to capitalism. I was greedy. I lost sight of what was important and it, but it was coming from the very people who needed it the most. They kept asking for money. They'd have GoFundMe's, GoFundMe's, they would ask for donations. But then when I went on to try to become wealthy, I was attacked for it. And so like, I just realized there was not enough representation, A, and B, there was not a representation of queer people who were happy and who were rich. And I wanted to become one of those for our people. That's powerful. I didn't even know that or think of that. But one thing about being a wealthy LGBTQ plus leader is you can give back. You can spread the message. You can also be an inspiration to others. So that's incredibly powerful. And how in the world did you get there? How in the world did you become rich? 
Yeah. Um, I freaking decided and owned it. And that, I think that was honestly the hardest part because, you know, when I was raised, I was taught that to be rich is to be greedy, um, to be rich is to be mean, to be rich is to be gross. And so for me to claim to want something that I've been taught to judge and avoid my whole life was really hard. So I was going against the family narrative. Um, and yet I was like, I, I just got tired of being broke. Being broke is very costly. It costs you your peace. It costs you your health. It costs you your well-being. It costs you relationships. It costs you opportunities. And I knew if I could only change one thing in my life is was money. If I could have a crap ton of money, 99% of problems are eliminated. You can have any health care. You can live anywhere. You can send your kids to any school. You can travel anytime or any, like it changes everything. And so I just chose and decided in the midst of a lot of judgment and misunderstandings that I want this and I will become this. And so I hunkered down and I, I invested, I hired people who had what I wanted and I analyzed them and I learned from them. Like, how do you think as a rich person, person, how do you shop as a rich person? How do you um, invest as a rich person? I really, how opposite poor people live their lives from how rich people live their lives. And if I kept thinking like a poor person, I would keep living like a poor person. So the more I, I studied the minds and lives of the wealthy, I was clued in on this information that can change your life so quickly. And I think this is why in a white heteronormative patriarchy, it's like they withhold information because if you don't have the information, it's going to take you 10 times longer to figure it out on your own, which is why, again, I'm so public. I'm like, here's how we did it. Here's a course. Here are my three tips. Here's the number one thing because so for so long it's been held back. But I, I always tell people, hire the people who have what you want. It will save you 10 years and you can get there in a year. Like It will collapse time unlike anything else. It's so true. And I asked you because I kind of recognized certain things. Money mentality makeover for me is what changed my life in about, I think it was 2017 or 2018 that I bought it. And it was when I was going through struggle and I didn't have money and I did put on a credit card. It changed my motherfucking life. It did. It was just like that one piece that then created a domino effect mm -hmm. to go for it, to believe in more. And I do it over and over and over. I do the journal work and all of that. So was that one of your shifts or like what's, what was one of your biggest ones? Yeah, I, that was one of them. I think the biggest turning point in my life was when I was at the airport and I had to buy a book for my trip and I saw this bright yellow book shining on a shelf and like, and I'd heard about this book. It's called You Are a Badass by Jim Sincero. And I just kept reading to buy it and there it was. And I read this book and it, it undid decades of unhelpful beliefs that I was taught in the church and like brought me back to my personal power and radical responsibility. And I felt so invigorated and alive. And then she wrote another book, you're a badass at making money, which I, I, that's my Bible. I swear by it's like the book I give all my clients. I recommend to everyone. And then I took um, the money mentality makeover program. And what I, I love that you gave the analogy of a domino effect. So what I tell people, cause I, I even had someone say when Nicole, when is the money freaking going to come? Because they've been doing the inner work for oh, what feels like eternity, right? For a long time. And the idea is you keep at it because you never know when that tipping point is. 
We don't know when finally that book you pick up, that course you sign up for, is the, it's the tipping point. And then all those dominoes that you've been calling in are lined up and it just comes in floods. And so if you can stay the course and keep showing up and keep doing the work and follow the inspired nudges to buy the book, invest that course, hire that coach, one of those at some point will become your tipping point and the money will come. But if you quit before then, you're not going to make it. Yes. It's that image that's always in my head. You're six feet from gold or whatever it is where you're get you're working, you're working, you're working, and then they turn around and then the person above you goes that six feet more and they found gold. And that's how my life has been. You know, we compare ourselves to all these people. Oh, I want to zero to six figures in a year. Yeah, but bullshit. How much effort did you put into those years before then? How many businesses failed before you hit that success? And that's what kept me going and building the small momentum and also realizing that for me, money isn't the end all for me. I just want to be happy. And the more I incorporated that happiness in each growth and stopped thinking of just the money, I was like, I am successful. I am successful because I'm happy. I am successful because I'm doing what I love bringing all that in really helped me get to last year was my first six figure year in my business. And now I'm like, okay, now how do I get to the next level? And I think, you know, just saying what you did is think rich. How would you think if you were rich? So Mm -hmm. maybe making that 20 K investment and figuring it the fuck out and not being like, I can't, but how can I? Yes. I love that. And I think like, because as I've expanded, right, once you, you reach six figures, the I think for me, I found the option for mentors really shrinks mm-hmm. um, because it's not just finding any mentor who has seven figures or multiple six, six, six figures. It's finding the right person. And this is, again, why I'm so passionate about living publicly, because maybe I don't speak to a lot of people, but maybe I do. And I want the right people to find someone, which is why I'm open about my queerness, why I'm open about being right biracial, why I'm open about being a woman. Because if you see yourself in me, I hope it helps you lock in that this is possible for you too. Let me give, I'm going to give one money tip because I like, I like tangible. I always, I would always listen to rich people like, it'll come. I'm like, fuck you. Give me something I can do. So I'll give you one of my favorite stories when I was first on this journey in 2017, brand new to any concept of anything. I was so poor. I'd been on food stamps for seven years. I was still on food stamps for two more years. I just got off food stamps in 2019, right? This wasn't that long ago. So like things can move fast, faster than you feel in the moment. It feels eternity in the moment. Looking back, it is a blink of an eye. Um, So something I'd always lived in lack. I was always, every time I spent money, that's lost. Every time I spent money, that's lack. That's less money in my account. How could that not be lost? That's how I viewed. Very normal back then. But I was challenged to flip the script. So I remember learning that wealth is my birthright. That was a foreign concept. I thought it was for the lucky, the few, the chosen, right? Not for anyone and everyone. And so once I claimed it as my birthright, that money belongs to me, that I deserve money, that I'm a magnet for money, that I'm a match for money. It's my natural birthright. It's the natural order of things. Money should be flowing to you at all times and all the ways. Like this is completely foreign. I'm like, okay. So I started believing this. And I remember praying like, okay, universe, you have to help me with this. You have to show me that this stuff is true because it sounds so bonkers. It sounds, it sounds so woo and crazy, but I'm willing to believe because nothing else has worked for me. 
So money's always showing up for me. Money's always showing up for me. Money's always showing up for me. And I'm saying this to myself. I've been doing all the things. Then one day I like walked to my local grocery store and I walk in. This is just a couple months into me learning this. And one of the workers there is like, are you Nicole? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, did you forget something here? I was like, no, I don't think so. He's like, I swear it's on the envelope in the back office with your name on it. Let me go get it real quick. He goes in his back office, grabs the envelope, brings it up to me. And he opens like, oh, I guess we owed you money. Here you go. When has any grocery store (laughs) ever given you money? It's not a thing. It's not a thing. But that began happening to me more and more and more. And I started to accumulate evidence that money is my birthright. Money is constantly showing up to me in the most bizarre ways like that. And then it became fun. Then it went from, oh, I'm desperate. Please surprise me. I don't think it's real. It's like, holy shit, this is real. Where's it going to come from today? And I just, when I shifted to my expectation that money's going to be there for me in ways I can't even fathom, it started showing up. But when I limited money that you can only make money working at a job and it's limited to, to a paycheck, you've just eliminated the 99 other million ways it could show up for you. Money's energy. It's infinite. It's endless. It can come to you in any form if you remain open to it. I love that so much. And I will just relate to my audience right now as I... My limiting belief around money is I just have to work hard. I have to work hard. Hard work equals money. Hard work equals money and almost stress, anxiety. And when I'm depleted equals money. And that shift has been the hardest for me. And so tuning into, oh, I make money with ease. I make money by having fun. I make money by in my purpose work. But it's taken me years. And even with that money mentality makeover course, I still have to work on it. And I'm like on this tipping point and I can feel it pretty much. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I've started to make money with purpose. I've started to make money with pleasure. Now, how do I keep allowing it in? And I'm working on what you just said. So like I'm the before and I'm trying to wrap my mind around seven figures and, you know, having it be easier and not so stressful. So I really appreciate kind of like the polarity of even us and Mm -hmm. what's possible because Uh, maybe I'm like the before. (laughs) Absolutely. I, it was harder for me to generate 2000 a month than it was to generate 20,000 a month. Like, it's, ah. and I feel like it's it because I view it like you're like, you're, you're doing the work, you're doing the work, you're doing the work, and then you build the momentum and then the momentum carries you. And, and so I think that's where like people give up in the part where they're doing and they're doing, and they're trying, they're trying and they get exhausted. But if they just stick with it, it's aligned and authentic, you'll get to a point where your momentum carries you. And so the analogy I love to give is like, you're, you're just coasting down the freeway, you're cruising at 70 miles per hour and you take the foot off the pedal, you don't crash. You don't come to a halt. You keep going because the momentum carries you. And so I think people learn like, and I love, so I love when you said I started incorporating more happiness and less of a hustle because you'll find if you give yourself permission to let off the pedal a little bit that you still keep moving and you're a lot happier and it becomes easier and it'll just become more and more and more like that for you. So I'm, I'm super excited for you and for what's to come. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to relate to my audience, but also this is maybe a little bit about me. So I hit a big success level for myself that I'd been working on for years. Ladies and gentlemen, I was like, okay, when is it going to happen? It was finally when I let go of the scarcity on it and I just like allowed it to, but I did build up the momentum to get there. So what would you do if you hit a big major 
thing. But then you notice that you almost can't believe that you can keep going because it was so good. And then like, I've noticed I'm in this new level and I'm like, how do I keep this up? And it kind of made me go down a little bit. And I'm like, shit, I got to go back up. (laughs) So I think it's totally normal to freak out. I think it's normal to not, it's not normalized yet. So I think it's actually, it's pretty difficult to maintain that when it's not normal. It's when it becomes normal, it becomes maintainable. So I use, I take the pressure off because I had heard in the coaching world, like once you hit a new level, you should never dip down. But when I dip down, then you feel crappy about yourself. And like, I'm doing something wrong. And you get in your head and you make all this whole meeting. And so I just decided to eliminate any story that I was fucking anything up. And instead, my favorite view of it is this is life. Our overall life is an upper trajectory where it gets better and better. This is daily living. This is monthly living. So even in a low month, I still hold this belief that I'm on an overall trajectory of more and up. And so changing the story from I fucked it up, I'm doing something wrong to I'm on an overall trajectory of more and more and more made it a lot more peaceful and joy. So now, so and then at the final big shift I've made recently is, you know, when you're poor, you think in terms of hourly wage, what, how much can I pay per hour? Or even when you start your coaching business, I'm like, I charge $50 an hour. Then when you move into the wealthy level or next level, you don't charge by hour, you charge by package, you charge by the experience. There is no hourly rate anymore because you'll always limit yourself, right? And so the same thing with monthly income, when we are so um, obsessed with monthly metrics, it's still an employee mindset. It's still a, a lower level of thinking of like letting that be, letting that drive so much Instead, I, what's my overall trajectory? I'm going to lock in that I'm always a match for more that no matter what happens on any given day, week or month, I'm going to end this year on top. And that has freed me from when I used to obsess over my monthly stats and trust that I always make more. And every year I've made so much more money, the le- the, the more I surrender these ups and downs because my overall trajectory is this. Yep. That's what I did last year. And that's why I hit the goals. Cause I was like, okay. I had a dip, but you know, it's going to keep going up. It's going to keep going up. No matter what, I'm still going to hit the goal. And it, it worked out. So and here's the thing. I will say this real quick. I'm like, I'm just like, become like a whole no, money please. thing. I'm like obsessed with money. It's like th- th- there can be so much pressure to increase your monthly income every month. Like I'm just going to make you more, more, more money. And like it, it, and then we realize we're chasing something that maybe we didn't even want to chase in the first place. Like, does that matter if you hit a million dollars in two years or in four years? Either way, you're going to hit your goal. So you could hit it and like you on your way there, you can beat yourself up over it and tell yourself a story and put all this fucking pressure on yourself and make it not nearly the enjoyable experience it could be. Or you can decide I'm going to hit it either way. I might as well enjoy the ride on up. So that means it takes me a little bit longer who fucking cares? I want a good fucking story. I want a good fucking life. And I don't want to be wigged out, stressed out, obsessed. So I'm willing to go against the grain where it's like more, 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 higher, higher, higher. And it's like, I am already, I already know I'm going to be a multimillionaire. I already know I'm going to be, be a billionaire. So I'm just going to enjoy the journey on the way there. 1000%. And that's why, you know, in 2021, I didn't quite get there because I let go of that because I wanted to enjoy my life. But I knew if I didn't hit it that year, I knew it was going to be the next year. And it really did help me just enjoy life more. And then it did. And then I surpassed it the next year. Mm. So, yeah, it it really doesn't matter. What tips would you have for people going from, let's say, before six figures to six figures and then six figures to 
millionaire status, seven figures? Yeah. So I would say to go from like not six figures to six figures, it's moving from hourly wage to an experience or to a package. We have got to drop the hourly rate. Um, it's just, it's, yeah, you have to make that shift to hit, I think six figures or multiple six, six years, then to go from six figures to seven figures, I believe, how do I want to say this? Once you're at six figures, keep doing what you're doing. It will compound on its own. And I, it's honestly less about doing more. And that's the idea we think because it took a lot to get to six figures. And so we have this fear idea that can take even more for seven. You're, by the time you're in six figures, you're in a flow. You're in a really good flow. Typically, trust that the flow will compound. And sometimes it's the most like innovative, last minute spark of an idea that you're like, oh, whatever, I might try this. That blows the fuck up. And like, you can't, you can never predict it. You can never plan it. You can never strategize for it. It's little bumps like that. And that just happened to me last week where my team member and I had an idea. We're like, let's just try this. I thought I might make a couple thousand, made 10K like that. And I'm like, oh my God, I worked so hard for $2,000 a month. And I can't believe we popped 10K like that. I could never have told you ahead of time I was going to do that. So keep doing what you're doing. And then when those hits of inspiration come, I think the faster you do it, the better, because the more you sit on it, we overanalyze it, overthink, overplan, and it fizzles out the energy and the magic of it. Follow those hits and they, they'll pop sometimes. It's amazing. Exactly. And like mm-hmm. you said, you never know what's going to be that domino or that piece. And for me, it was just going for being a TEDx speaker. I didn't think I was ready. I didn't think I had the talk. I didn't, I was like all these excuses, so many of them. And I put it off for weeks and even months that I saw it. And then my friend was like, just go for it. Like, just put it out there. And let's just say you don't get accepted. Just do it. So then the next one, you're ready for it. I fucking got it. And it was because I just went for it. And that could be like a big domino effect for my business. And it was because I went for it and I did it with my purpose and honestly, that lack of expectation, I think, helped me get there quicker. Yeah. I, I think that's the magic when you follow those hits. Because I always tell my clients, it's going to eventually pop. You don't know which one's going to pop. You're going to have a lot of flops along the way. But if you if you quit while you have the flops, you'll never reach your pop. You just have to keep going. You keep innovating. You, cry, you try different ideas. You follow different nudges. They will eventually pop. And those pops are worth all the previous flops. So true. So true. Yeah. Keep going. Yes. Putting your energy to it, you, it will just develop and success isn't a completely straight line. There's ups and downs and circles and roller coasters to get there. So just appreciate the highs and lows of it. And uh, so true. So we've kind of talked about business and we've talked about this and we've talked about this, but I know that you're a mom and you are a sex worker. So how has that worked together and has that made you a better mom, worse mom? You tell me. Yes, I love it. I do. I have three kids. They're seven, 10 and 12 and they're freaking precious and adorable. And I'm a single mom. Um, so I got divorced a few years ago and yeah, I'm a sex worker and it's interesting that I never would have guessed in my life that I would be doing this. I just was following one nudge at a time and all of my nudges led me to doing 
adult work. Um, and I do all of it on OnlyFans. And I did it before it popped. Like I did it before I started before quarantine. Um, and it just started as an outlet to express my desires, things I had kept repressed my whole life. I for years before I started OnlyFans, whenever my best friend would get together, we lived in different states, I'd have her take naked photos of me. And I would store those naked photos on my phone. For me, they weren't even for my husband at the time. They were for me. I loved the art my body could create. And I yearned for a place I could share those. So when I discovered OnlyFans, I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. This is just a chance to express the art and desires I have. And sure, maybe a little make, make a little money on the side. It wasn't even that. I just wanted to practice self-expression. I wanted to take up space. I wanted to be seen and I wanted to be seen in a sexual way. I'm a very sexual person. And so this was the perfect outlet for me. And, and through, through that journey though, I had to work through all my own whore phobia, my own fears, my own hesitations. What when my kids find out, what about their friends? And so it's led me because I had to have all those conversations with myself, with my coach. And because I have these children, it's made me such a better mom because now we talk about things. I would have tried to have maybe skirted around if I hadn't gotten sex work. Like we, I have to talk to them about porn. I have to talk to them about what's appropriate for adults versus what's appropriate for kids. I have to talk to them about consent and bodily autonomy and never do anything that doesn't feel good for you. And like your body, your choice, like it's, forced me to have conversations that my kids are so aware. They're so educated. I'll, I'll be like, all right, kids, let's head out the door. And I'll like put my hand on my like, kids back. And they'll be like, I didn't say you could touch me. I was like, <laughs> and I, I can't help but be happy. I could have never said that to my parent. I wouldn't have been aware that they even had that choice to not be touched by someone. So the fact that my kids were like my body, I didn't say you could touch me. I'm like, you're right. Let's head out the door guys. And I'll, I'll see you in the car. And I love that. So that yeah. I think has made me a better mom. It, I think it set my kids up for way more success in the future in their relationships, um, in their interactions with other humans and in whatever line of work they end up going into. Yes. I really love that. And just not talking about sex doesn't mean your kid is going to just not have it. In fact, what I've heard over the years is that the people who avoided it and shamed for it, those are the kids that go explore more because they don't no. And they yeah. want to go test it out. They want to sample. They don't get it. Whereas I actually was raised with more open communication mm -hmm. and it, it probably could have been better, but it was still open and I understood it a little bit more. And I was, I felt okay. And so I, I hate the word saved it. I, I didn't have sex until I was pretty much ready. So versus a lot of my friends, they were just like, were so shamed about it. My, one of my friends in high school, her parent was the most strict and she was the wildest. She was the one doing drugs and sex and getting pulled over for giving blowjobs and whatever. We all love to hear her stories though, but she was the one that her parent was like, you better be home by nine. You're a skank, you're a hoe. And like, she just completely went on the opposite side. So <laughs> It's so true. Like it, we talked about this in my parenting course today. When you push, you typically get pushed back. Yeah. And so parenting in a way that's not pushy because you'll only get pushed back versus coming alongside of and being honest. Like my kids know they can ask me anything, but it's also because I match my response to it. I can't say ask me anything. And then they're like, mom, what's a blowjob? And I'm like, oh, how could you know that? Where did you learn that from? Who told you? And like freak out of them. They'll never ask me a question again. Instead, if they ask me something even if it's like more advanced than I think, 
I act like I'm calm because I want them to always feel safe to come to me about anything. And so my kids do, and I'm always cracking up on the inside, like where the after they learn these things. And then there's this funny story. One of my kids was like talking about the number 69 and it was a funny story, the sexual use of it. And I was like, Oh, just checking in. Do you know what that means? She's like, mom, of course I know what that means. I'm like, okay, I'm just making sure. I'm like, I'm like, well, how do you know? And she's like, you told me. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> like, cause we're always having those kind of conversations in our home. So they're, they're and I, you're right. I think because they're so informed, they're not eager. Like I was yeah. boy crazy at a very young age. My kids are so not interested in anything like that. They're kind of like weirded out, grossed out. And like, I think part is they just, they have a more level head on their shoulders because we talk, the things we talk about, it's not all silence or it's not all romanticized. I talk about all the things with them. Yeah. What age do you think is a good time to talk about sex and to bring up more of like what it is and the organs and like, when's a good age? And I know what I would say, but (laughs) before they even can speak, it's like getting books about anatomy. It's getting books. There's a basic like uh, baby toddler book called seeds for consent. It's like educating them from such a young age to just be aware, like be aware of their bodies, know how to name the different parts, understand that like gender and sex are a different thing. Like they are, kids are so in tune and aware long before they have words Mm. and trusting their ability to understand things before we think they're ready. And with the internet, kids are learning things like in first, second, third grade, you don't have the luxury of waiting until middle school or high school. Like, and if your kids are older, it's still never too late. It's just like, being like being a safe person where those, if, if you feel like you can't have that conversation, here's a strategy I, I use in my house as well is I buy all the books because my kids are readers. So this does work in my favor. If, if your kid's a reader, I buy all the books about sex, gender, racism, wealth, anything for their age level. And I just leave them around my house. Mm-hmm. They naturally pick up and read every book. I remember one book I bought called my vulva and my daughter was sitting at the the kitchen table while we're eating dinner with her My Vola book. I didn't say anything. And then at bedtime that night, she's like, I read the My Vola book. Do you have another book? And I just like, we, I don't make a big deal. I just assume, yeah. like, they just assume that this is probably what all families do. And yeah. so they know all this stuff. And then they'll, and then I say, if you're, if you have little kids, let them lead. My seven-year-old asks me the most questions about sex and bodies, periods, vaginas, clitoris, penises, like everything all the time. And I never shame him. And I never tell him that's inappropriate. I answer all of it. Honestly, I'll show him diagrams. And so he's very comfortable and he's very educated. He, all my kids, especially my younger two are more comfortable about sex because it's such a normal topic. My older is a little bit like, mom, I know, please, for God's sake, do not say anything more about this. Yeah. Is there a way to know what not to bring up? Let's just say, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to ask this question. <laughs> but like, is there, if you don't want your have, you know, to get pregnant and to have sex too soon, like how do you bring that up? And because I know this is not the right way, but people think because you talk about it, they're going to go do it. It's kind of yeah. that way, but Yes. There's a really good book called Untangled. Um, It's geared for teen girls, but it's for, I think, 80% of the contents for all genders and just 20% for girls. But she made this really good point as a psychologist that kids talk about it typically years before they do anything about it. 
but parents assume if they're talking about it, we freak out that they're going to go out right away. And it reminded me of, yeah, I used to have huge crushes on boy bands and my whole bedroom wall, like would be covered in boy band posters. And I wasn't doing anything sexually. She's like, there's like, there's a period where it's all they think about, talk about, dream about, but when actually presented the offer, they're like, and I remember when I was in this fan, uh, fanboy phase and a, a boy offered me to give him a blowjob, I, you know, I had fantasized it, talked about my girlfriends. As soon as he offered, I was like, oh, uh, no, no, like I wasn't ready. And then they reached a point where I was ready. So I think just knowing that to any parent, it's like talking about it. It's they talk about long before they're ever ready to do it. And the more you talk about it, I think they're actually more intentional about when they do it. So I can give an example. I have a couple bonus sons and they're both teen boys. And um, I was talking to one of them about, I asked him, I said, when do you think teens should first have sex? Like, I don't know. I thought it was always wrong till marriage. Like you weren't raised that way. What's your thought? And he's like, "Mm, I don't know. Maybe like maybe 15. I don't know. I could see, you know, I could see myself writing in about a year or so. And I'm like, this is amazing. My parents would never have asked me, when do you think? But I think like trusting that the kids know when it's time and being able to say like, when do you think it should be a good time for, and I didn't say about him. I said about teens to keep it general. And then like, what, like, what, what do you think you need to know before then? Or what do you need to prepare? And we had this whole conversation by just making, letting him answer that question. Yeah. And it is just different for every human. It's yes, different yes. for a woman that maybe had puberty sooner. Like everybody's different. And that's why we can't make it, oh, it's 15 or oh, it's 18 or oh, it's 21 no. or oh, it's this. It's really based on that person and their mm-hmm. experiences and accepting them. And I loved that conversation. That's powerful. I and I, I love that. And I love that you said that because it's going to be different for every kid of yours. There might be a kid of yours that's like me. I was ready to have sex by grade nine. Like, give me a, a dude, right? And I couldn't find anyone. I was so horny. And like, all the boys <laughs> were interested in all the other girls. And I was like, dying to get laid. Like, I was ready to go. And then I have girlfriends who are like, not until I'm married. I have no interest in being in my back. And I'm like, how? 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 That is so not me. So just trusting that, like, your kids will know and being really honest about that. Instead of trying to force an arbitrary number or line that may not may or may not work for your kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we've talked about sex work. We've talked about now parenting. Um, I just wanted to loop it back around Mm -hmm. because I think sex work can be powerful and it can be empowering. But I think there are some dark sides. And especially if people get into it too soon or they don't know how to honor their nose, honor their consent, honor themselves. So what are some of the dark sides of sex work? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I definitely have regrets in the sense I wish I could have done this 20 years ago. I would have started this right out of high school. Um, and I'm also glad I didn't because I'm obviously way more grounded and wise and aware. And, and therefore I've had like no trauma with my work. My work has been nothing but empowerment. Um, 20 years ago, I would have probably got some really bad situations, but I will say that's true about just dating. I have, I have a girlfriend who's an OnlyFans creator and she's like dates were more violent and damaging to me than any of the sex work I've been a part of. Right. Or dating apps. I've got more unsolicited dick pics and people trying to solicit me for sex on my dating apps than, than I ever have on my OnlyFans. And so 
she's found her adult work to be safer than the average dating world. And so I think you can get it in for the wrong reason. And I don't think you can stop it. I think it's more about um, when that happens to do what you can to address it and heal it, get therapy, get support. So you can heal from it and you can stay in the industry as long as you want and love it. Um, we just unfortunately can't stop women. I think what I want them to know is like, why? And have you thought it through? Um, because once you get into this work, it's part of your life forever. What, you know, and I made peace with that. I knew anything I released on the internet will be on the internet forever. And that's enough to scare most people off or some people don't think about it and how that could harm their future jobs or their future dating life. I made peace. I was like, I will always work for myself. And I believe that if anyone does want to work with me, it's because they love what I do, not hate what I do. And that I believe I'm worthy of being loved for the work that I do and not in spite of what I do. And so I really locked in that if I'm going to do this, it will support my entire life. It's going to find me the right partner. It's going to land me the right opportunities. It's going to get me the right press. Um, and so my life's been very magical, but if you kind of get into it haphazardly, don't be surprised when things are a little bit haphazard in your life. Yeah. When you don't think long-term, you don't think about the effects. You don't think, oh, you actually want to be in politics. You, and back, back decades ago, you definitely, that would hinder you, but you never know these days. Yeah. I'm like, if I can see your pussy on the internet, I'm more likely to vote for you. Like if I can see who you are and what you stand for, if you've had an OnlyFans, like means you're probably transparent. I'm probably going to vote for you. So hopefully things are shifting. Um, but you're right before that would have stopped you. But I, I will also say this because this is definitely a stigma of sex work. It's like, have you thought this through? Have you thought this through about going to debt for four years of college that might take you the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years of your life to pay off? Have you thought that through? Have you thought through working in a nine to five job that sucks your soul dry and makes you hate your life, but it fulfills your parents' expectations of you? Have you like, it, I don't want it just on sex workers. This is on every person. Have you thought it through about the life you're living? Are you happy? Does this bring you joy? Is this the truest expression of you? If not, it's time to reflect and maybe do something about that. Yeah. Have you thought this through of getting married oh in God. five years, 10 years? Have you thought this through of having kids now versus 10 years, mm-hmm. 20 years? Like, yeah, think things through. A lot of people don't do that. And it's interesting. <laughs> you just think of the now just, or expectations. Yeah. And we're so, we're so indoctrinated. I was indoctrinated from before I could speak that my highest goal in life was to marry a man and have his kids. I did it. And then I was like, I was duped. This was supposed to be the pinnacle of my life. This is like the most anxiety producing worst years of my life. And I'm supposed to be grateful for this. Like I didn't know any different. Now that I'm out of that mindset, I I would do it the California way. I would have built a massively successful career in my twenties and thirties, got married late thirties, early forties, maybe popped out one kid. And like, but I didn't know that was an option. So like, this is part of why I love that you have this podcast. Cause I think you're planting seeds of possibility. You're bringing new perspectives and like allowing people to reevaluate from another view of like, Oh, I've never even considered not getting married. That was never an option uh, in my life. Like that was the one goal I had and you could not have talked me out of it. So sometimes we go through these things. We go into debt for college. We marry someone, we pop out a few kids and then we wake up and that's okay too. It's still not too late for you. It's not. It's not too late. You could be 40, 50, 60. My grandma 
went on a date recently and like, you just don't know, like she's closer to 80 and she's dating and exploring and learning. So it's never too late and to go for whatever you're desiring. And those little steps lead the way. You don't know the end goal. You don't. I didn't know I was going to be a confidence and sex coach. Like no way, not even three years ago or four. I just had no idea. And then I just kept following those nudges. And I'm just like, wow, now I'm a TEDx speaker about what I'm passionate about. And I'm like, okay, I don't know where I'm going next, but you really inspire me. And I'm excited to keep taking those nudges. Mm -hmm. Um, What's one of your biggest tips for anybody listening? If they have either, yeah, just to go for, just to go for it now. I think for women, one of my big things to tell my clients is you can trust yourself. We've been so taught to mistrust our desires and our nudges and our knowing and to trust logic and reason and outside input more. But like you are the only one who knows what's meant for you and trust yourself above all the rest. At the end of the day, it is only you who has your back. So make sure you're being true to you. And I will say this to answer like your previous question. So my personal dark side to this work is I've lost my three best friends and it makes it difficult to find friends because people love me and I'm in Orange County, right? I'm like uber conservative land. Yeah. And so then when they find out what I do, I get ghosted and it's really, I'm a very social, very extroverted, human loving person. And that is the dark side for me is I have a hard time finding friends with that said though, I would do this all over again. Of course, I miss my best friends. I've cried endless tears over it. My only regret is that I didn't do this sooner. I am the happiest, the most expressed, the most fulfilled, the most at peace, and obviously the most wealthiest I've ever been. And it's because I trusted myself and I took a leap and I bet it on myself and I came out on top. That's what I want for every person listening to your podcast right now. Yes. And I have lost girlfriends and I have lost friendships. And I'm going to tell you here today, I have lost friends even in the last year. And now I have different friends that love me for me. They Mm -hmm. go to play parties with me. They're bisexual. Mm -hmm. They are business owners. They're spiritual. I have all these different aspects of women that five, six years ago, none were nowhere near me. And yes, I did go through stages and I lost best friends and I've shed tears too, but you will find your people. And Hey, I'm in orange County and I'm also in sex coaching and I'm so glad we connected. Yes, me too. I'm super. That's the thing. It's like, I think even when we have to release old identities, old energies and people who steer in our lives, new is always coming along. More is always on its way. There is no shortage. There is no lack. What you seek is seeking you, whether it's love, it's friendship, it's community, it's business, whatever it is you want. It wants you trust it because more is on its way. So I too am so happy we connected. We'll slowly take over Orange County. (laughs) Yes. Up. Yes to that. We are taking over Orange County by storm. And <laughs> we will definitely have to do that. So where can everybody find you? Yeah, you can um, go to my website. It has all my socials, NicoleMitchell.com. Nicole is spelled with a K and I K O L E. And I'm the most active on Facebook, Instagram, and OnlyFans. Awesome. And her links will be in the bio. So go check it out. And thank you so much for joining me. 
Thank you. This was amazing. Wow, this episode was so amazing. I just want to turn all the clips into reels and share it with everyone. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would love to hear what you think. Feel free to DM me. And I just want you to recognize that this shows the power of breaking out of shame and being your authentic self and just showing up as you and feeling comfortable in your own skin and doing what you love. It's powerful. You can tell by her words and her interactions. And if you are looking to break out of shame so you feel happy in being you and take off those masks and make money doing what you love, reach out to me. Send either of us a message. We would love to help you. And there's definitely some freebies and the links in the bio will help you get there. And definitely check out my five steps to mind-blowing sex and it really helps you break out of shame and own that sexy so enjoy and feel free to share this clip with your friends or whoever you are drawn to because we want to share this amazing message Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, review, and share with your fellow biz babes. I'd love to hear your thoughts, takeaways, and questions. So leave me a review on iTunes. And until next time, I'll see you at the top. It's up to you to level up.